before we start, I just wanted to say a quick thank you to all of Great Light Studios' monthly supporters who give on a monthly basis. For those of you who might not know, I rely completely on monthly supporters to do everything that I do on Great Light Studios. I am so very thankful to all of you who continue to support me and this ministry. And it's my goal this year to try to raise the monthly support level so that I can have more time to devote to making more content. So if you benefit from Great Light Studios and want to help support me and continuing to do what I do, you can become a monthly supporter by going to patreon.com slash greatlightstudios. You can also give a one-time donation directly through PayPal if you'd prefer to do it that way, or there's also the option to send a personal check in the mail. I will be putting information on all the different ways to support Great Light Studios in the show notes of this episode. I wanted to live my own life. Um, what they were asking of me was just too demanding. And um, just, I, I didn't have any real friends. I didn't, you know, I mean, maybe one or two people that I, I could actually call my friends that, you know, from that whole experience of being in that church. But besides that, I, I was losing myself. You know, I, I didn't know who I was and I would think about it a lot. I just, I wanted my own life back. Today I'm talking with Joey, a former member of the World Mission Society Church of God, and he's going to be sharing about some of his experiences as a member of this group for several years, and then some of the things that caused him to eventually leave. And then also he'll be discussing a little bit about just how life has been since leaving. You know, one of the narratives that this group kind of propagates to members is that life is going to be terrible, horrible if you decide to leave. And so I think as you'll, you hear from many other members' interviews and as you're going to hear from Joey's, that's definitely not the case. Uh, if you're new to this channel, I produce a lot of content on this specific group. Um, if you want to watch more interviews with former members, I'll put a link in the description of the video below to a playlist I created with all the different interviews with former members that I've done over the past few years. So that'll be there in the description below if you want to check that out. On this channel, I want to branch out a little bit more and I've been doing that some and, and trying to cover other groups, similar groups that, that could be classified, I think, as, as cult groups, high demand, high control groups, and, and just covering you know, different topics that relate to God and faith and things like that. And so in that I've created recently in the past few months, a separate YouTube channel called Answering the WMSCOG. And I'll also link that in the description below if you wanna go over and subscribe to this new channel. This channel is going to uh, more and more have most of the WMSCOG related content that I produce. And so I will still continue to put out some of the videos like this one on this channel, but there's gonna be a lot of content over there on that new channel that you won't see over here. And so, yeah, I'd appreciate if if you're interested in that, if you wanna go over and subscribe. Um, again, that's uh, the channel's called Answering the WMSCOG. I also just wanted to say thank you to all of the financial supporters of Great Light Studios. There's been a handful of people who have jumped on and either raise their, their support in the past month or two or become new supporters. 
and I so appreciate you guys and it's a huge help. Just want to let you know that, that it's, it's really is because of all of you guys who are willing to support the channel that I'm able to keep producing content, both here on this channel and on the new one as well. So if you're interested at all in supporting financially, I'll put links in the description below as well to a couple ways you can do that and just some information about that. So thank you. And with all that said, here is my interview with Joey. Joey, how are you doing tonight? So far, so good. I can't complain. Things are going well. You know, how about yourself? I'm doing good. Um, I, I appreciate you doing this. We were introduced through a uh, a friend, somebody that people will probably be familiar with, um, Anthony. Yeah. Uh, how, how do you guys know each other? Did you go to the same church? Yeah, so I met him whenever he moved to the church in Pittsburgh uh, several years ago the church in Pittsburgh. Okay. Yeah. So how about to start off, could you just um, kind of give us a, a brief, like a snapshot, a bit of an overview of, of how long were you in the church? Uh, what, which branch were you mm -hmm. a member of? And then about how long it's been since you left? Yeah. So I was a member of the church. I came in in around August of 2013 and I was there up until about February of 2020 right before COVID shut everything down. So good. Okay. Good about, about seven years. More or less. Yeah. Yeah. Well, take us back to like the beginning, <clears throat> like what, I guess like what, where were you at in life? What kind of stage of life were you in? Because, you know, a lot of times uh, people seem to be in, in, at least in many cases, people will seem to be in sort of transitional stages of life where they're maybe more susceptible, open to different experiences, different ideas. So kind of where were you at in, in life when you joined and, and kind of what was that initial thing that got you in? Yeah. So my story is a little interesting. So, um, yeah, when I was about 20 years old, um, I was working a full-time job and uh, all my friends are going to colleges, doing all sorts of different things with their lives and we're all kind of separating. And uh, I was looking for, you know, a companion. I was looking for a girlfriend at the time. So um, I met someone through an internet dating site and we started talking, uh, you know, wanted to get to know each other more. And it turned out she was a member of this church. So naturally, you know, the first few weeks of dating, we wanted to be with each other you know, a lot. And she invited me to a Bible study. And I, you know, the time I was said, sure, why not? I'll check out a Bible study with you. That's what your interests are. I'll, you know, give it a shot. And uh, from the jump, when I got there, um, everyone was like crazy nice, like a little too nice. It was a little, it was a right. lot, you know, <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, at the time, you know, I'm 20 years old, you know, I'm like, all right, yeah, that's cool. Everyone's nice. And uh, we started doing some Bible studies um, and Things were, you know, good. I didn't see any kind of anything crazy, but I just kept going to them because she was going to them. And I'm like, well, I want to spend more time with you and get to know you and your surroundings, your friends, things you like to do. So I kind of involved myself in that. And then things spiraled out of control. <laughs> yeah. So oh, yeah. How, how did that happen? Did it kind of transition from you just kind of going after the girl to you really started getting hooked by, by this doctrine. Like, well, I guess did, did, yeah. I guess, did they kind of start to get their doctrinal hooks in you in some way? Yes, very, very much so. So 
um, it got to a point where I was, uh, I was becoming very interested in what they had to tell me and, you know, what I was learning in the Bible and stuff. And I would go a few times by myself without her. And, um, you know, they started giving me a lot of Bible studies and one that really stuck out to me, the, the name of the study was called like the seal of God. And, uh, it, it put some fear in me and, you know, they kind of put the pressure on me. Like, look, this is what you need to do. You need to be yep. here. You need to focus more on, you know, the afterlife, the spiritual world rather than the physical. So that kind of, you know, it, it instilled some fear in me and I'm like, all right, well, I got to start devoting a lot more of my time, my, my energy, my own personal resources to being here and supporting, you know, this church and everything. And, and that was within probably the first, probably first six, seven months. And, uh, I wanted to do what was right in God's eyes at the time. And I, I remember speaking to the the one kid who was um, teaching me, you know, most of my lessons at the time. And I was like, Hey man, I, I think I should marry this girl I'm with, you know, she's part of the church. We want to do right in God's eyes. And you know, how that goes. So we kind of got married and it, it, it was awkward. You know, we, we got married on our own time and, um, it just, it wasn't right, but we did it. And we, we, we stayed married for several years and, uh, we both wanted to do what was, what we believe was right in God's eyes. And um, we involved ourselves heavily in the church. You know, we, we came almost every single day, um, preaching almost every day, stayed late for Bible studies. I mean, I'm sure you've talked to other members. We'd be at church to 10, 11 o'clock on weeknights, you know, and we got to get up at 6, 6.30 in the morning every day to go to work. It was just, it was consuming our life. You know, it was, it was a lot it got to a point where we realized, you know, it's, we should probably, you know, part ways and whatnot. And, um, some members, you know, overseers that were kind of giving us guidance at the time, they said, you know, it's, you should really try to stick it out. It's, you know, God's will, you know, put your best foot forward and, you know, keep trying And like deep down. If it wasn't for the church, we would have split ways, you know, you know, you do you all do me, but it got to a point where we met with the, pastor of the east coast and we you know we went to the the main church to seek guidance from him on what we should do you know if we should get a divorce or if we should stay married and um he tried telling me he tried convincing me to come move to the the main church location and just something in my gut didn't sit well with me you know i, I have my home my family my life here in pittsburgh you know that i'm not ready to make that kind of commitment you know for the gospel and um his idea for her was to move her to another branch church outside of the state. And so that really influenced our relationship a lot because, um, if it wasn't for his, you know, um, guidance on that, things would have been much different. Like what was your experience throughout the years? I mean, that's, that's a, a long time to be a member. So, I mean, good yeah. and bad, I guess, like what kind of, What's, what would be your general takeaway as you look back now at, at your different experiences you had? It was very stressful. Um, I felt like I was walking on eggshells almost every single day I was there. And I may have not even done anything wrong, but just because I've seen other members get rebuked or, you know, uh, put in place, so to speak. It's like, man, I don't want that to happen to me. But there have been many times where I've been gotten in trouble and rebuked and things like that in front of others and it's it's rough you know as a you know young adult it kind of you know makes you think like wow is this really how 
everyone my age is, you know, supposed to feel when they go to church, you know, and it's a lot of pressure, a lot of pressure. I remember doing things, you think you're doing something right. And then boom, you get a, a glaring look from the overseer and it's wow. Like that's, I, I don't want to come here, but you know, you want to do right in God's eyes and you keep going, you know, I mean, there'd be nights where I'd be, it, it'd be hard to fall asleep because I know what would be happening the following day or what responsibilities they gave me. And it's just like, this isn't what I want to do, but you guys are kind of pressuring me to do these things for God, you know? Mm -hmm. I mean, generally like at first it was, I enjoyed coming to it cause it was new as meeting new people, the, the social aspect of it. But then it just started to, they really like got into me. You got to be here every day. And it destroyed my personal life with all my friends growing up. It put a huge, it, it crippled the relationship with my family for several years. And just finally, hmm you know, making men's with that, but it was rough. So like what you say, it crippled your relationship with your family. Mm -hmm. um, I guess, can you expound on that a little bit? Like how, how did that play out and why, why was it that it had an effect on, on those relationships? Yeah. Yeah. So like I was very close with my, my parents and my sisters growing up, you know, I was, I could be there for them at the drop of a hat. You know, we talked about everything. We did everything together. And then from the beginning of joining that church, it just things, you know, I, I invited them, I would preach to them, but it, from what I was kind of explained with the church, well, if they don't accept, you know, that's on them, you know, but you got to keep devoting your time here. You know, if it'd be a Sunday, like, Hey, I want to go visit my family. It's like, where are you going to come back to preach? Are you going to come back to study? You're going to come back to this. It's like, guys, I don't want to have to give you a schedule of what I'm doing on the weekend. Like, this is my own, you know, personal day. I, I was here all day Saturday. Let me at least live my life on Sunday. But no, I felt like it was always someone just constantly on my on my back, just where I'm at. And it got to a point my family, you know, I had to decide between going to church or seeing my family. And most of the time I would I'd go to church. And I remember very specifically that I had a funeral for an aunt who's you know, my godmother I was very close with and I couldn't stay at the funeral for more than 15, 20 minutes because I had to go keep a service. And I, mm -hmm. at that time, I wasn't even in the church for very long, but they said, if there's another priest, stay away from him. Don't talk to him. You know, his bad blood. <laughs> I'm like, you know, I, I think about all the times that how the, my, the other half of my family are, are looking at me now, like, oh, you miss your aunt's funeral? Like, how, why would you do that? And I'm like, wow, I feel terrible. So a lot of things, you know, I, I miss a lot of things with my, my own family, just growing up and with them growing up and, uh, I regret that a lot. You know, I live with that a lot, but I mean, thankfully we're, we're really close now, but it was hard. You've mentioned like wanting to, wanting to do right in God's eyes. And that was kind of a motivator for, for, I guess the obedience you, you showed yeah. and continuing to, you know, submit to the requests of, of these leaders and, and things like that. But when you, when you talk about wanting to do right in God's eyes, I guess what, like in, in internally, like what, what was that? Was that, do you feel like that was like a sincere um, love reverence for God where you, you wanted to just, you know, more like a real relationship sort of thing going on where you just, you wanted to uh, uh, serve him in that way, or was it more, what was fear a part of that? Do you feel like the, there was any part of how this group um, 
you know, the doctrines and things like that? Was it, was it the fear of the consequences if you didn't do X, Y, and Z? Um, and, and, you know, what would result uh, if, if, if that was the case? So, I mean, or maybe a mixture of both. Yeah. So like uh, growing up as a kid, um, I wasn't very religious, like whatsoever. Like I, I was Catholic, but I, I didn't go to church. I didn't practice anything, you know, that kind of thing. So coming to this church um, was a, a very odd thing for my friends and family to see and, and, and see me go through and kind of evolve into that person at a young age. But when I was saying that you know, I wanted to do right in God's eyes to them, they're just like, well, what do you know about what's right in God's eyes? You know, you, You've been to church maybe twice in your life prior to this, but uh, I think I was afraid of how I was going to be kind of, um, I guess, judged in a way from what like the overseers at the time. Uh, it, it's easier for me to like uh, picture that moment in my head, and I'm trying to describe it in words. But I knew, mm-hmm. you know, everything was great. If you're doing great, you know, peaches and cream, smiles and you know, laughter. But then the second you do something wrong, it's it's a whole different kind of atmosphere. So I, I think I wanted to do what was right in God's eyes and pleasing them and keeping the status quo within the church assembly. Yeah. If that kind so, of, no. yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, that sounds like a very performance oriented sort of arrangement, um, yeah. both in, in the dynamic between you and, you know, God and you and the leaders and the other members where there wasn't, um, I mean, and you can disagree with this if, if, if you want in your experience, but it sounds like, you know, things like unconditional love and acceptance and grace weren't really things that you experienced. Would you say that's true? Yeah, for the most part. I mean, it, like I said, everything was great if you're doing everything you're supposed to be doing and everything that they're asking right. of you. But the second you say, you know what, I can't stay late tonight. I, I have to do something at home. It's, well, what are you doing? You know, you, you, you get 20 questions. It's like, well, I don't have to explain myself. We're grown adults here. Like, I have my own life too, you know. It, it, they they kind of guilt trip you on a lot of stuff. It, it's not fair. And that's, I mean, at least from my experience, I can't speak on others, but from my experience at a very early time being in the church within the first year, I felt a lot of pressure, you know, a lot of pressure like that. And it was overwhelming, you know. It, I had aspirations of doing different things as towards a career path, but now I have to focus. How am I gonna, you know, serve the church on a Monday through Friday basis? You know, working hours. It's like I got to try to find a, you know, a menial job and not something that's actually gonna benefit my life, but just enough to get by so I can put all my focus towards the church and keep them happy and do what I'm supposed to. Yeah. So do you think like was the idea of like hell, the fear of hell judgment? Uh, it seems like that's something that this group emphasizes a lot. Um, you know, again, the, the consequences of not doing all the things you're supposed to do and keeping up those things. Um, so, so was that, was that a factor at all? Was, or was it more just the, the guilt and, um, you know, shame you would feel from the other members kind of looking down on you? Uh, initially, it was a little bit of both um, for the first maybe couple years. And then, like, they really started to instill within 
my experience was just seeing with others and like all the videos that they would show, they'd instill the fear of hell, you know, and uh, you know, are you going to be a sheep or are you going to be a goat? And they'd show all these different videos and it's, you know, when you're that in it, you know, you, you got, you know, blinders up. So you see that and it, it influences everything you do, every action you take throughout your day to day life. When you're at work, when you're driving in your car, you want to make sure you're as pure as possible. And it's, you know, God forbid I, I slip, I make a mistake, you know, I, I screw up. And is that it? You know, I mean, they would mm -hmm. say, they would, you know, uh, say, you know, if I don't go preaching today and if, if God came or father came the third time, you know, and they didn't catch me preaching, am I going to go to hell? And it was like a toss up, like, well, I don't know, maybe, you know, it depends on your soul if you, in your heart, all this kind of stuff. And it's like, well, I don't want to go to hell. You know, I, I thought, I think I'm doing everything right, but you still feel like it's just not enough. And it was yeah. here, even after leaving. I mean, there was, after I left, I still had, you know, kind of some, some fear internally and you keep me up at night a little bit, like, man, did I make the right decision? And, you know, and you start to doubt yourself. Thankfully, I have moved on past that. And it took a little bit um, after leaving. Um, but thankfully, I, the reason I left kind of a little scrambled is uh, I got into a relationship with someone else. And thankfully, she's a, a wonderful human being. She helped me cope a lot through um, my experiences. And she listened to me, you know, so much just just hearing me talk and, and share those different experiences and letting me know that it's okay to be human. It's, it's okay to have certain feelings and, and desires for the world, you know just because they're not serving God directly doesn't mean you're, you know, setting yourself up for eternal damnation, you know? So I kind of cut myself some slack, you know, I wasn't, I, I stopped being so hard on myself and it made it easier to cope with and just started doing normal things, you know, normal activities. I go camping. We like being outside, you know, spending time with friends, just doing normal people things and, and slowly it kind of just helped me, I guess, um, navigate myself back into the world and having normal thoughts and not having so much stress or anxiety about thinking about, uh, prior consequences and stuff. What were the red flags, I guess? What were some of the things that started going off in your mind? Did you start to have questions or doubts? The things that, that started to lead you ultimately to leaving? Um, I think for me, it, there wasn't a singular item that I saw as a red flag and I, that made me say, you know what, this is, this is nuts. I got to go. It's my own desires. Like I, I wanted to be in a relationship with someone else. I wanted to live my own life. Um, what they were asking of me was just too demanding. And um, just, I, I didn't have any real friends. I didn't, you know, I mean, maybe one or two people that I, I could actually call my friends that, you know, from that whole experience of being in that church, but besides that, I, I was losing myself, you know, I, I didn't know who I was and I would think about it a lot and it would, you know, I'd start to do more physical things I'd listen to physical music. I'd towards the, the last, I think six to eight months, I was going a lot less and, um, just making up all these different excuses of why I couldn't go. And, uh, I just, I wanted my own life back, you know, and I think that's what came to it when, cause when I left, they were starting a new different um, kind of uh, uh, East Coast activity for a new way how to study. And we have to learn these new um, study pamphlets and preach these to people and going, you know, preaching at five thirty six in the morning because we're trying to preach to 
7 billion people. I'm like, guys, I don't want to do this. You know, I'm not getting on a bus at 530 in the morning with billboards and yelling at people. Like, what what are we doing here? Like, are people really going to listen? Apparently to them they will, but <laughs> I, I didn't want to do it anymore. I said, this is, this is nuts. Like, I, I just got sick of it. Yeah. You know? Were you, I guess in that, did you still have like hangups with the doctor and did things, I mean, for, for, you know, for a lot of members and obviously everybody's experience is different, but did you have, you know, hangups with prophecies about Onsong Hong or did things come to your mind about, oh, well, what about this in the Bible? And, 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 you know, or, or were those things just not, were, I guess, was your, your kind of desire to get your, your life back and your autonomy back so strong that those things weren't really uh, a big influence. Yeah. Yeah. Those things weren't as big of an influence. And I will admit I was a little naive on some of the, the prophecies and studies after just seeing more videos, you know, um, post being in the church about other members uh, experiences being there and the red flags with different prophecies and things like that. It just kind of made me scratch my head and think, wow, I, I didn't even think twice to fact check, you know, a church, you know, on what they were teaching. And lo and behold, you know, the facts are there. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, but for me, the main thing that kind of got me out was just I wanted my life back. You know, yeah. Is that. Yeah. So what did your your family th think of it? Did your family uh, talk to you about it? Did they share concerns about it? What was what was that like? Yeah, so right away, um, you know, I invited my, my family and my friends, and I, I, I invited both my two best friends, and they came for a service. And immediately after the service, I was walking them down. And we were in like a 12th floor of this uh, this one um, uh, business building. So I was down the elevator with them, and they're like, bro, what are you doing? Like, are you listening to the stuff they're talking to you about? And, I'm, of course, at the time, I'm like, yeah, what do you mean? This is, this is the truth. <laughs> and they're like, no, it's not. And from then, they kind of just really started to isolate themselves from me because I, you know, unfortunately, was very pushy with them. But with my family, they they kept trying to, you know, they they gave me what I wanted to hear. You know, like, we'll come, we'll, we'll sit through a study, we'll come for an event, you know, whatever. But deep down, they weren't actually committing themselves. They were trying to see what exactly was going on. I mean, my mom's a little crazy. And at one point, she came in and said, hey, I got a private investigator they investigated your church, all this stuff. You got to get out of here. I'm like, mom, you're crazy. But they tried for up until the very end within maybe the last month of, be of me being there, they were trying to get me out and they were coming more, but they weren't coming to receive any um, like truth from that church or anything like that. They were coming for me because that was the only way that they could spend time with me. Yeah. And uh, so or. <laughs> Say, say that once more. Sorry, I cut you off. Oh, you're fine. I, I said, I just wish I realized that's why they were coming before, you know? Yeah. 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 So what, I guess in that, then what was your, what was your thought process uh, about your family? Like in their attempts to get you out or, you know, it sounds like they, they didn't necessarily speak positively about the church and their perception of what it was. So like, how did you, I guess, then perceive your family so I always, you know, always loved them and everything like that. And I never talked bad about them or said, you guys are going to be damned to hell if you don't come and, you know, you're going to be cursed by God. But 
I always tried to be optimistic and just tell them like, well, you know, one day you'll be here with me, you know, sitting in service or, you know, one day we'll be doing things together. Like I'm not losing out on you guys, but at the same time, if there's a decision where I had to uh, devote myself to my family or the church, I was choosing the church 10 times out of 10, which sucked. Right. Yeah. So what, what were some of your, I mean, can you think back to any, experiences in the church that kind of stand out to you as, um, you know, I guess that you look back and, and you can think, man, that, that just kind of shows the true colors of this group or, or, you know, any, any particular, um, experience that you might've had. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, when I first was a member there, um, we had a, uh, the overseers was, um, one of them was, uh, uh, I believe Puerto Rican. And then the other one was, I'm sorry, he was Dominican. The other one was Korean and she was very nice, very nice. But there was an instance where, um, we were cleaning up after dinner and everything on a weeknight. And, um, once one members, one sister's uh, father was coming into town and he never gets to see his daughter. And she said, all right, brothers, who's going to go study with this, you know, with, uh, this member's father. And I was only in the church for a couple months. You know, I don't know anything. I don't, I would never consider myself one to teach someone anything like that. And, um, I didn't raise my hand. I said, you know, I got work tomorrow, whatever. And, uh, she kind of went off and at first. I didn't think she was serious, but she, you know, in front of, I think probably 12 or 14 members just yelling at me, you know, you didn't do this. You're not going to bear fruit. What are you doing? Your heart's not in the right place. And I'm thinking like, I have my own life too. Like, what do you, what do you, you know, but how dare I speak out? So I just kind of kept my mouth shut and, and, uh, kept it moving. So the next day I didn't go to work and I went to go meet with uh, the member's dad and he didn't show up because he didn't want to come see his daughter and do a Bible study with a stranger at a Starbucks in downtown Pittsburgh. Yeah. He's like, that's not what I came to town for. <laughs> I'm not doing this, <laughs> which I don't fault him at all. But in order for myself and that uh, sister to keep in contact, we exchanged cell phone numbers solely to communicate with each other like normal human beings. Um, somehow that got back to the Korean overseer. And again, she called me in the office and just let me have it. And it, it got to a point where I didn't know how to react and broke down a little in tears and said, wow, I, I don't know how to respond appropriately to this so i'm just gonna just take it i guess but mm -hmm. looking back I'm like how what are you crazy you know like I, you know we were texting each other where we're gonna meet you know in, in the city but different things like that the way they would uh rebuke was it just go goes over the handlebars a little bit yeah i mean i think it'd be fair to say that that would qualify as you know a a spiritually abuse sort of scenario where you have this person in authority, this position of authority over you, um, who's just kind of treating you like garbage. And because of the whole system that you're in, you're kind of, you know, forced into this position where you, you know, you can't really speak out. You can't really defend yourself. Uh, because of the consequences of that. And so you just have to kind of take it. Um, yeah. I, I got another experience. We had, um, 
a huge event on the the east coast and it was in the heat of summertime man it was so hot and um i think anthony was there for this he might remember but we're all sitting you know uniform line by line and we're all fully dressed in our suits and everything and our preaching bags you know it's it's hot outside we've been standing outside for hours at this point so we're hot you know and uh i'm listening to the one pastor give his speech about something and uh you know i don't feel too good i feel you know my hands are starting to sweat a little bit more i, I start to get the chills a little bit i feel like i'm about to pass out so the uh, two members in front of me in this single file row was uh my church leader at the time so i of course the one person out in front of me i knock on his shoulder i say hey i'm gonna pass out so he drags me out of line and pulls me to the side the medics they gave me a water and granola bar and i was fine but at the very end the pastor saw me and he said, what's wrong with you? You're going to pass out. What are you weak? And I was like, ah, and kind of just brush it off. And I'm like, Oh, I'm sorry. I wasn't the only one, but I just happened to be up near the front. And I was like, wow, that was, you could care less if I were to pass out or not. <laughs> wow. So was that the, was that the same one that had yelled at you before or was this a different one? That was a different uh, Korean overseer. This one was the, uh, main leader of the of the uh, east coast okay so overall your experience there was one where you didn't feel a lot of genuine care concern love for you from your your leadership from leadership i mean maybe like one one or two leaders but that's because we got close and i was a. Uh, I was always the the one member who was a little too physical, you know, thinking worldly and stuff like that. So I would joke with them a lot and try to turn them away. <laughs> you know, make I'd make jokes that were kind of crossing the crossing the lines a little bit, and I'd get in trouble for that. But yeah, I mean, everyone there, not even just the leaders and the overseers but i mean you talk to most of the members who are you know in it it's all fake man it's all it's not genuine it's, it's all how are you doing oh my gosh it's so great to see you I'm like let's talk about something else like what do you like to do like, nothing god that's it so did you ever hear any like end of the world predictions were you any sort of like prophecies things like that that were taught that didn't come to pass anything like that so i remember when i came the first big feast that i remember or the bird sorry not first big feast but the um i don't know what, how you want to categorize it, but it was the year of jubilee and uh the way everyone was kind of explaining it was like yeah this is the year father's gonna come this is gonna be it so i'm thinking like okay this is it so that's when i was starting to really you know sink my heels in and start to give everything i got because i'm thinking you know this is it you know, we only got a little bit of time, but excuse me, nothing ever came about it. And then the next year was something else. The year after that was another thing. And the year after that was another thing and so on and so forth. It always felt like the end was right here. Um, I can't speak on a very specific prophecy that comes to mind where it was like, this is it, you know, date, time, whatever. But it always felt like they kept just prolonging it. And it's like, like, guys, you've been saying the same thing since I came here that this is it, like tomorrow could be it. I'm sick of hearing that. Like it's, I'm starting to call your bluff years. <laughs> yeah. And I'm sure that's exactly what they're teaching now. Yeah. 
So there's always this sort of I, I underlying idea that the end is just right around the corner. It could come any second, any second. And, and then, and then it just never does. And they just keep kind of moving the, moving the goalposts back exactly. year after year. That's like 70% of the topics of all their sermons. It, it narrows down to that. The end is near. Yeah. yeah. And in my estimation, you know, a reason that, um, in my opinion, that they would do something like that is because having that underlying fear that any day now the end could come, father's going to return, that just gives them this extra amount of control and power over the members, uh, makes them more malleable in their hands. Because if you can convince these members that, you know, this is going to happen soon, could happen tomorrow, then, you know, their attachments to normal everyday things will just be kind of severed. You know, they're, they're, they're going to, um, it'll be much more easy uh, to get their interests onto the things that they, they want them to be interested in the things that they want them to be devoting their time, their energy, their money to, if, if they think that, you know, well, doing anything else is pointless anyways, because, exactly. you know, the end's coming. Yeah. Yeah, I would agree with that a thousand percent. I mean, that that's how it was, you know. You know, why do you need to save money? Why do you need a savings account? Get rid of that. You know, donate it. That's your next offering. That's your next, you know, contribution. You know, I remember getting pulled into uh, one of the overseer's offices because I wasn't making contributions for a couple months because I live by myself and I was, you know, trying to make ends meet and I was doing the best that I thought I could. And he said, what are you doing? You can't contribute for this and that. How can you call yourself a gospel worker? How can you teach Bible study if you can't even contribute for this and that? And I'm thinking like, buddy, I got rent to pay. My landlord doesn't care about that. You know, I have bills to pay. I have this and that. I have to take care of myself first so I can donate my time to you. And it, it, but it's hard. Yeah. They instill that fear on you that, you know, judgment day is coming any second now. So it's like, all right, well, I don't need to make more friends. I don't need to pursue other things. You know, I can care less about my car. I'll drive it to, you know, six, seven, eight hours to whichever church they want me to in a drop of a hat, you know? So yeah. with that, with your, your tithing, giving of, of your finances, was it communicated to you uh, explicitly or even implicitly in the church that your tithing was connected to your salvation. Like in other words, do you feel like there was an idea uh, given to you that if you didn't tithe, I mean, I guess to put it bluntly, if you didn't tithe, you would go to hell. <laughs> was that what More, idea communicated to you? Yeah. You're on the, you're on the right path. If you stop tithing, that's a huge red flag. That means you're spiritually sick. We need to isolate ourselves from you because something's not right. And, you know, <laughs> you don't want to catch the ick, but that's, that's how it was. Yeah. We were kind of, okay. we would have several Bible studies. You know, I remember hearing about how important tithing was for your salvation and your blessings in heaven. And if you don't, then all right, good luck. We'll see. Yeah. 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 Which, you know, basically can translate into this concept that you're you're in part at least and in, in some part paying 
God money for him to let you into heaven, which yeah. <laughs> presents a, a quite a problematic view. You know, when you start to think of these things like mother's love and, and all that, you know, what, what kind of, what kind of mother demands her child, uh, pay her cash money yeah. in order to be welcomed into the house and not only just to be welcomed into the house, but if, if you're, mm -hmm. you know, if you don't, you know, my child whom I love so much, if you don't pay enough money every week, well, not only am I not going to let you in the house, yeah. I'm going to put you in a lake of fire. Yeah. You could do everything else. Perfect. Completely by the books. But if you're not giving contributions, if you're not giving offerings and tithes, you know, just forget about you. I can't say that this is something that happens in every different uh, branch because I know some members on the YouTube comments will come and say, well, no, we, that wasn't my experience and it wasn't like that for me. But um, in terms of like preaching to groups like, like homeless people, um, handicapped, um, mm -hmm. elderly people, uh, was that something that you were ever um, encouraged to do or discouraged from doing? Yeah, certainly uh, discouraged. Um, I remember on several instances, many occasions, words you'd be, you know, say, uh, you know, college, university, walking on the streets, and you see someone in a wheelchair or someone that's, you know, not able body, something, you know, physically or, you know, wrong with their appearance. Say, ah, there's something wrong. There's there's a reason why God made them like that. You know, it's because of their sin in heaven. You know, that's don't preach to them. It's, you know, God will judge them according to their own conscience and their own faith. So many times we're homeless and elderly. Yeah. It's basically kind of like stick to your own age group and uh, some adults. Not necessarily uh, naming them as like, um, like evil people, but there's something wrong with them. Like, you know, be on your guard. Don't, don't approach them. Don't invite them. You know, um, we've had instances where uh, people would come for, for food or things like that, but they would be normal human beings, have a full-time job, have their own residence, you know, whatever, their own transportation. But if they didn't feel that they were a good offering, then we'll slowly, you know, not communicate with them or slowly kind of isolate them from everyone else. If you were to like theorize, I guess, on why, I don't know if you have an opinion at all about it, but like looking at that now, like why, why do you think that is um do you have any ideas about why you think it would be that they would not want members to reach out to to people like this um that's a good question actually um i think um if someone was handicapped or something like that it's not a not a good look you know for the church uh, i don't know if you've seen any of their welcome videos or pictures or anything like that i mean you hardly see anyone in a wheelchair or someone that's disabled or you know try not to sound rude or anything like that or someone that may not be fully uh, fully functioning person you know if you will mm -hmm. um i don't know if it's because you know they don't want to bring in someone that might be homeless or elderly it's like well how are they going to contribute to the church you know how can they contribute financially how can they contribute their their time their own body for labor or anything any of the resources yeah. i think what they're looking for is just a prime easy to influence young mm -hmm. adult male female or someone with a uh, a celebrity kind of profile or uh, someone that has a lot of money or wealth yeah 
somebody who could potentially make them look good, make the church look good. Yes. And, and contribute something. Um, yeah. So, which is just something that, you know, for people listening, um, especially f- if you're a current member listening, I mean, just step back a minute and consider that, think that through. And um, I mean, that's, that's very problematic, especially when you're considering this group who claims to be the, the one true church of God. Mm-hmm. Um, is that really, is that really what God's like? Uh, is God really, you know, up in heaven, looking oh. down at these, these people, yeah. you know, the, the homeless and the handicapped and, and the, and, and thinking, you know, I don't want them, you know, to be a part of the church because for whatever reason, um, yeah, I just think I, I would just encourage members, especially again, to, to consider that. And, and I, I think if you're thinking through that rationally, you should see that there's, there's something very problematic about that, about the fact that um, yeah. I don't know that I've talked to a member that I've done an interview like this and asked that question and had a member say, Oh no, the church, the church really cared genuinely about people, no matter what sort of circumstances they're in, because, you know, they have mother's love. They have the love of God motivating what they're doing. And yeah. they had genuine compassion for people. And, and, in the and, you know, it wasn't about what benefit the church could get from them because, you know, we have, we have the truth of God and we're out to just help people, you know, never, I've never heard anything like that. The, <laughs> Reoccurring thing is every member I've talked to said, no, I was discouraged or, or in many cases I was explicitly told, or even I think sometimes like rebuked for preaching to um, people in in these sort of circumstances or situations. Um, And that's just very ugly. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's just just an ugly, uh, horrible thing. Yeah. Yeah. So as you were, leaving you decided to leave uh how i guess how did the leadership the other members respond to that um Mm -hmm. did did you ever talk to the leaders in that process and explain to them what was going on did you bring some of your concerns to them ever um i guess just how did they react to all of that yeah so um towards the end i was i was coming a lot less frequently um, despite, you know, being talked to and things like that. And I would just, my excuse was, um, I need to work more, you know, I, I need to earn money. You know, this, I'm sick of living paycheck to paycheck. I'm trying to establish myself as an adult. Um, but it came to a point where I was, uh, I was seeing, uh, my fiance, you know, at the time and, um, we just started dating and, uh, I came out with the one overseer because, you know, him and I came to grow a little bit on a closer, you know, personal level, you know, more of a friendship level. And, uh, you know, I told him, you know, I've been with this girl, we seeing each other and, um, you know, we've slept together and everything. And he said, Oh man, this is, this is bad. And, you know, Joey, what are we going to do? And I said, look, I know what my punishment is. I'm going to get exiled from the church. I'm going to get excommunicated, all that stuff, you know? And what's interesting that night, it was, it was, uh, right after the, the final Sabbath service, uh, in the evening, and the overseer came out with an announcement that him and his wife were leaving, going to another church, and like three other members were leaving too. So I'm thinking, like, man, everyone's leaving. I'm leaving too. This is it. This is when I'm going to tell them. I know what my con- the I know what the consequences for me are going to 
are going to be. And I'm, this is it. So I kind of, once he made that announcement, I, I was firm in the ground. Like I'm leaving. But uh, since I left, um, maybe for about a year, uh, I uh, would talk to one of the members and we would just chit chat, you know, nothing really much. And because uh, we were pretty close, we did a lot of stuff together on a friend level. And, um, you know, he invited me out for dinner. You know, we went, had dinner a couple times and I, I knew his end goal was to try to bring me back. And uh, the second time he came with a, uh, the new member or the new overseer of Pittsburgh and they offered me to do Bible studies again. And I'm thinking like, you guys, I, I've seen you do this to numerous other people. I'm not coming back. I'm sorry. I'll be your friend, but that's it. I'm not, I'm not coming back. That chapter's over. Yeah. And how did they respond to that? Uh, that was, that was basically it. It's like, all right, well, you know, we'll be in touch. And uh, no, that was it. And that was okay. that. Um, besides my ex-wife, I haven't heard from them in a couple of years. Yeah. So I know you, you talked about it a little bit already, but like what, what has that process been like since you've left? Like how have you coped after leaving the group? Has it been, has it been a struggle? And, um, you know, how have you kind of moved past that? Um, and do you feel like you have fully moved past it? Yeah. So at first, the first couple months were definitely hard. I think I, I was kind of um, fortunate in the sense of I left a few weeks right before COVID shut down everything and, and the churches and whatnot. So everyone had to do at home worship. And I tried that because uh, my conditions were I can stay, but I have to practice. Um, I have to keep at home worship and I have to meet the overseer to give him my tithes and offerings uh, once a week. And I did that for a couple of weeks and I was falling asleep in service. And I'm just thinking like, no, <laughs> I was trying to have my cake and eat it too kind of thing. And, um, you know, you know, I was feeling guilty, you know, at first for the first couple weeks of months, you know, cause you still have that fear of, you know, am I doing the right thing? Is this, did I make a mistake? Is that really the truth? You know? And I didn't know who to turn to or anything like that. Cause, um, I didn't really have anyone that I knew that left. So I couldn't really go to them for advice. Um, I didn't really want to open up to my family too much about it because I know how quickly they would just say, you know, we told you so, we told you so. So I kind of, I kept it close and I would only kind of confide in uh, my fiance. And um, she really helped me just kind of overcome that. And just, we talked about it a lot. You know, for me, it felt like I was just being repetitive, but it's just one of the things you, you need to talk to someone and, explain your situations, whether it's a good situation or a bad situation that happened there. Um, I would highly recommend just talking with someone about it and get it off your chest and for them to let you know that the feelings that you do feel are normal. You're not a bad person because you love someone else or if you're, um, you know, whatever the case may be, you have different desires than what the church's views are. But that's what I would say to help someone to cope, you know, just yeah. talk even with a therapist, if you need to, you know, professional help, it definitely helps. But as of now, yeah. I, I think I've fully moved on. You know, I don't have any regrets leaving. If anything, my life has improved, you know, tenfold, you know, since leaving. Yeah. And they, they say that if you leave, you're going to 
your life is going to be horrible. You know, you're going to get oh, cancer yeah. or get in a car wreck or, you know, get possessed by a demon or yeah, all these yeah. sort of crazy things. So, yeah. No, I'm so you're saying that's not your, your experience <laughs> though. No, my life, you know, thankfully, you know, things are going fantastically, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Do you feel more, uh, emotionally, free i guess just in general more free in your life more at peace than you did when you were in there oh yeah yeah i mean just the whole fear thing and anxiety was uh you know it, it took me a long time to even swear again <laughs> let alone you know touch alcohol or do anything like that um but just living a normal life it just it's a lot easier you know i, I feel happy as a person i feel like i have me back you know when i was in that church it wasn't it wasn't the joey that i knew yeah. yeah. So you you mentioned like that kind of the what if questions that you had, you know, what if what if this is true? Um, looking at that now and, you know, that's that's something that I am confident many, many people, whether it's this particular cult group or another one that they've yeah. left recently, you know, for some that sort of doubt, that sort of fear hangs on to them for a long time. So I guess like looking back at the WMSCOG now in particular, like, are there any things that now looking at it, you can pretty quickly think um, of things that tell you or prove to you that, no, this is not the truth. You know, what are, are, are there any things like that that would stand out to you that you, you could mention? Um, I think just how much they ask of you in terms financially, it, it's too much, you know, it's too much for a young adult, you know, college students and stuff, people that are trying to establish themselves in the world just to be a normal human being. What they ask is just too much to devote of yourself, you know, whether it's financially, whether it's your body, your time, um, things along that nature in terms of like uh, actual prophecies and studies to see, you know, if I were to see it, is that a red flag or not? Um, I think I was taking in all the information as just information and just regurgitating what I would hear and not actually digesting it and like processing it and taking it to heart. You know, I would say, yes, I believe in God, the father, God, the mother, you know, you look at the family system, on earth, family system in heaven, all that, and just see it kind of as face value. Um, but in terms of like other studies and prophecies, I, I, I wish I could see red flags in them. I know others can, and I've had others explain them to me, and now I see it, you know. Um, I'm sure big one, Daniel's prophecy and some of the other bigger prophecies and stuff. But uh, yeah, the biggest red flags are f for me is just the time that they ask of you. It's just too much. Yeah. A lot of people, you know, leaving this group, uh, again, have different kind of reactions to um, to faith and God and kind of what they do with that afterwards. Like, so what's, what does that look like for you since leaving? Mm -hmm. Um, do you still believe in God? Has this, has this kind of left a, a bad taste in your mouth and, and convinced you as it has many others that, you know, yeah, all this religion stuff is just, you know, a, a sham or, or kind of, I guess what's, what's kind of been your, your process with all that? So like being in the church, I would always, I, I think, I remember a couple of times where me and some of the other guys would kind of joke around and said, if, if this ain't the truth, then I'm, I'd rather be atheist, you know, that kind of thing. Or, or I'd rather just not even believe in God. And uh, I'm not going to lie, it has put a really 
sour taste in my mouth towards, I think, religion as a whole, not mm -hmm. in the sense of um, is there a God or is there not a God? You know, to me, I I like to believe that there is. You know, I'm I'm optimistic and and exploring that down the road, but right now I don't have any current plans to join any kind of faith group or spiritual organization or anything like that. The yeah. church definitely put a really bad taste in my mouth. What one of the common questions I get is what you just mentioned. Um, you know, if if this isn't the truth, then um, I'd rather be an atheist or whatever. But so what I even just last week had a member commenting on one of my videos saying um, almost exactly that. Like, well, if, if if this church isn't the truth and it's it's I think a lot of times it's kind of a, it's not like a genuine question. It's more of like an antagonistic sort yeah. of uh, statement. But, you know, if this isn't the truth, then then what is sort of mm -hmm. with this kind of underlying assumption that there's nothing else out there. And, and there's no other possible alternative uh, way to live your life if, if it, you know, if you leave this group. So, yeah. So I guess what would you say to members like that who are asking um, that sort of question? Um, I think I would say to them, just you need to take yourself outside the box and look at yourself from the outside in. And you got to realize there's, there's there's more to life than being in the WMSCOG because what they're promising you is just more lies to manipulate you, to control you for their own agenda. That's, that's what I've seen. That's what I've experienced. I, I hold on to that. <laughs>